studying through 1 Peter. Um, and we are in chapter 2. I know it's been a while, so if, if you're like me, you, you need, to, need to refresh and go back and look at that. And I even cur- encourage you throughout the next week, if you haven't, go back and read through 1 Peter and be reminded of all the things that we've walked through and will walk through and how they all tie together and how we center in on this message of hope that Peter writes to the, the church that he's writing to, a, a message of hope. And our, as our theme is, is that joyful, eternal, Christ-focused hope during suffering, uh, hope during suffering, joy during suffering, only through focusing in on Jesus Christ. And even today in the passage that we have, it talks again about suffering, and it talks about through that we do find hope as we look to Christ who entrusted himself to God, the faithful judge and father. And we're reminded of that today. So, though, as we begin, um, and we're, again, in this First Peter time, we should be reminded of why we're even studying First Peter. Just a few things we talked about at the very beginning, but it's just a reminder, one of the things that we study First Peter is because... As Peter writes, he's writing to a time where there's suffering, there's difficulty, and as we know, as we studied in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun, and, and there was suffering then, there'd be struggles and difficulties now, so we want to learn from those things. Uh, as saints have walked through that before, we want to walk through and learn from these truths that Peter taught them, so we walk through that, uh, and we're encouraged by that, we have these written to these Christians who, some of them were Greek Christians, those who were not even part of the Jewish faith, and they've come to faith in Christ, and now they're, they're total outsiders to their culture, to the Roman culture during that time. But as we know, um, as, uh, during that time, people probably never thought that Christianity would outlast the Roman emperor, empire, but now we know that indeed it has, and it will continue to outlast. Um, so we find hope in that. We find truths throughout First Peter that we can anchor our life upon, that we can anchor our hope upon. It also is a book that should give us joy-filled hope in Jesus, that we were reminded that hope, that we are born again in Christ, is this living hope, and we look to Jesus. And it's also just gives practical instruction as well. As we hit the second part of First Peter, there's all of, all of this practical instruction about just how to live life as we look to eternity, as we look to Jesus. How do we live life in this world? So we're reminded of all these things. And as we get to this passage, it's in context um, of 18 through 25, of 13 through 25. We have this passage, and then it continues actually on to next week of this call of, of submission. And it began in that passage that we'd studied last time. I don't even remember when that was, before Christmas, so a while ago. And it began with verse 13 that said, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So this is First Peter, again, chapter 2, verse 13. And a call to be subject to our our government, and those who are above us. And we do so for the Lord's sake. We do so looking to Jesus. We do so as those, as it says in verse 16, who are servants of God. 
So we're reminded that who are we ultimately accountable to? Who do we ultimately submit to? It's, well, it's to Jesus. And we submit uh, to those governing authorities so that we might even reflect the glory of Christ and have opportunity to speak of the gospel. And we do these things for the sake of Christ. And this week as we look, he tackles um, a relationship between a servant and a master. We'll dive into that. And as we think about these call of submission, even when we suffer unjust punishment and suffering for doing good, what is really at the heart? What is at some of the view? What is Paul concerned about in our lives? And I think one of the things as we see in context of some of these other verses that he's concerned about is that through this, are we pointing to Jesus? Are we looking to Jesus? And are we pointing to Jesus? Are we living for the Lord's sake? Are we abiding, as we talked the last few weeks, are we abiding, abiding in Jesus? And I think some of those verses that kind of help us see that, one of those is in chapter 2, verse 9. That says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he's reminding them, all those who are following Christ, that they're this chosen nation, this holy people. And what is their purpose? That they might be able to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called them out of darkness into light, that they're proclaimers of God and proclaimers of Christ. And then in the passage right before the one that we study today, verse 15, it says, For this is the will of God, but that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And in this verse we see that submission and submission, submitting to those those authorities, even ones that we may disagree with, and do good, we do good, and submit that we might silence those who maybe are antagonistic to the Christianity, that we might, through our life, be those who remove obstacles to the gospel and our witness, and that as people see us, they see that those who follow Christ are not a harm to society, but really are helping healing balm to it as we looked at when we studied that passage. And here, the passage today, again, same, I believe there's some, that same application here that we see in our response to suffering, even suffering when we're doing good, suffering unjustly, can be a true apologetic to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It demonstrates through our lives what Christ has done in us, and what he has done for us, as we're abiding in him. And as we look at this question of, of how do we endure suffering when doing good? I think that is kind of the application that we have in here for us. We need to ask some questions as we think through this. Of how, how do my actions reflect Jesus in me? And how do my actions proclaim the gospel as I interact with things where I face injustice? So as we looked at that question... I think Peter addresses, and he's addressing the situation of unjust treatment of, a, of a, a servant by his master. And he tells him, first we're going to see to be mindful of God and his grace. And then we're going to see this call to, to look to the example of Jesus and then live in light of the cross and the gospel. But we begin here with this call to be mindful of our God and his grace to us in verse 18 
through 20. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So first we have to look at the situation that Peter is addressing. And he, he writes to, maybe your translation says servants, or maybe it says slaves, or maybe even it says household slave. Maybe the, the, the more literal translation would be a household slave. And he calls them to be subject um, respectfully to the master. So in this time, the institution of, institution of slavery in Roman in the Roman Empire was different than that when we think of slavery here in North America, where it was that of a racial um, division. Uh, but that wasn't fully what was going on here in Rome. And it wasn't exactly uh, the same type of situation um, there were those who were in slavery who could even earn their way out of slavery through earning money that they could buy their own freedom at times. There were some that were slaves that were highly educated that ran different parts of that household. But at the same time, um, during that time, they were not free. They were owned by their master. And under Roman law, in some of the study that I looked at, that masters had at times limitless power really over their slaves. So they were not free either. And as we see even in this verse, he addresses situations where the master was cruel in his treatment and they were facing unjust treatment by a master. So it's not a beautiful picture of how things should be by any means as those who are image bearers of Christ and of our creator. And we should see, too, and take note that Peter here, he's not condoning slavery. He's not giving approval to the practice of slavery. And that's not what's going on here. But what is he doing? He's addressing brothers and sisters in Christ, these followers of Christ who are currently slaves and servants in households. And they have little to no recourse for the treatment of injustice that they have. And he's telling them, how do you live in light of this? How are you to walk in light of this injustice that you're facing? How do you point to Jesus? How do you point to the hope that you have within you? How do you show that, as in verse 16, that you're, you're a free person in Christ? That you're not bound ultimately by the systems and the rulers of this world, but you're a servant of Jesus Christ. And I think this is played out in this passage, and he calls them again to respect. Um, Let me read verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. And it could be that Peter is saying all respect to the master, but he could also be pointing, because this uh, is the same phrase as... um, in verse 17, it said, fear God, and it's really with all fear. So maybe he's just reiterating, you be subject to your master as you, as you have reverence to your God. And he calls them to this. And how? He says in verse 19, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, when endures sorrows while suffering 
unjustly. So he says, as you endure suffering for doing good, endure well, be mindful of God. Be mindful of God who sees your suffering and it's a gracious thing to him. Maybe your translation says, for, for God is pleased or for it brings favor. He's saying we, we experience the grace, that you will experience the grace of God if you face suffering because you are doing good. And during that time, a household often would serve a household God of that household. And it might be that these slaves, that they have become followers of Christ and they can't follow anymore the God of the household and their suffering that they may be experiencing. And they continue to press on knowing that Christ is with them, that the grace of God is with them. And their suffering is not in vain. Now he says, at the same time though, if you suffer for sinning, doing wrong, well, what credit is that? Then again, in the end of verse 20, he says, but if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God stands with us in, in our suffering with much grace. God's plan hasn't gone off the rails um, when they're facing this injustice for doing good. And we know that as we looked in John 15 a few weeks back, we talked about even how God uses pruning and suffering and refinement in our, our life that we might even bear more fruit. That may be what God is about in this, but he gives more grace. He continues to pour out grace upon his people. We see Peter talk about this a little bit more in chapter 3, verse 14, where he says, but, when, but even if you should suffer for righteous sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. He's just reminding them again and again, in the midst of suffering, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Our, our good works and good living, ultimately, we pray, will be silenced those who are critics of Christ, leading them to the gospel. And our goal as followers of Christ, we do see in this as well, that our main goal isn't to defend ourselves, defend ourselves at all costs. That's not our goal, but to glorify God and point people to Jesus at all cost. So as we suffer for doing good, we need to be mindful that God, he's watching and he cares for us and his grace is with us as we wrestle through these things and we continue to seek to honor God and to point people to Christ and be a witness to the truth of the gospel that he gets into in the second part of this passage. As I was thinking about this, just kind of this call to endure and justice for doing good, and thinking about how there's times where um, I don't well I don't do that well. <laughs> um, I was thinking back yesterday of our time in East Asia, where I think in all of the family we served on teams where at one point there were four different families, and I think in, in all of the families there was at least one of us who felt the need to always stand up for their rights. Um, as foreigners, you can often feel like you're being taken advantage of in one way or the other. So you're kind of always on guard to make sure that your rights are not trampled on. And there were some of us in our family, and I was the one in our family that was most concerned about um, making sure that injustice, injustice was not 
upon our family for whatever it might be. May, might it be the, the price of a, a milk tea or just anything. And it kind of would fight with people on these things. And one thing that I was reminded of yesterday, um, there was a time where we, well, I, I've mentioned before in East Asia we lived in this big apartment building and we lived on the 26th floor and um, we had tons of windows in this apartment. I mean, just tons of windows, which was a wonderful thing. Um, but when we first moved in, there weren't any screens on the windows. They were just opened up. And I guess you're up so far up, you don't have a lot of mosquitoes and bugs flying in because they're just too tired by the time they get up there. But um, So you don't, you don't necessarily need them, but we really wanted screens in these windows. And I had talked with my landlord and and things, and he agreed to put screens in the windows, and the guy came to put screens in the windows, and when he got done, he'd only done like half of them, and I'm like, no, we've got to fill all of them in. He's like, no, the landlord said, just do these windows, so I called the landlord up, because I was like, this is an injustice. He said he would give us screens in our windows, and and uh, at that time, I was, I was getting a little better in my Chinese, but it wasn't great. But I was arguing with my landlord over the phone, over these screens and the windows. And we were going back and forth. And I was just wanting my rights to be served. And, and uh, eventually, he gave in. And, and he put in the screens. And I was like, I won. But now as I look back on that, I was like, I've lost. Um, did I leave the fragrance of Christ with my landlord in that argument over screens? I don't think I did at all. I stood up for myself, uh, but I don't know that I pointed him to Jesus Christ. But we do that. We maybe win our right, but we don't point people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've lost, ultimately. Christ, uh, as we'll see in his example, he did not battle in that way. But instead, we see in verses 21 through 23, we looked at example of Jesus Christ. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges Justly. So we have the example, and we're called to live in the light of the example of Jesus Christ, to look to Jesus as, we, as we've been talking about, abiding in Christ, abiding in his love, and allowing his love to abide in us. But Jesus suffered, and he suffered for us. He died for us. He took upon himself great injustice, and he took upon himself the judgment for our sin upon himself. And I'm so glad that he willingly suffered injustice for me. I'm so glad that he didn't stand up for the injustice that came upon him on the cross, but he endured that for me out of great love for you and for me, that he suffered and left us an example of how we suffer. And we see that in verse 22, that he was one who he committed no sin when he suffered injustice. He was 100% innocent, but his, in his words were free from any deceit, from any lies, from any misleading words or gossip or harshness. And then verse 23, I'm going to read um, actually from the NIV in this 
translation of, of this verse. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So when he was insulted, did he insult back? Did he threaten back? Did he seek to overthrow those Roman officials and guards? And he could have. He could have stood up and defeated all of them justly. But what did Jesus do on the cross? He prayed for them. He, he forgave them. He died for them. And I think uh, we live in a day where we have a whole new way of emboldening insults and, and firing back at people um, through social media, from Facebook to next door to whatever it might be. But that's not what we are called, I believe, to do. But how could Jesus, how could he face such injustice and sin uh, against himself? Well, we see that he entrusted himself um, to the just judge because he could have rightly stood up, but he willingly instead laid down his life. And as in Hebrew said, he, he, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He, the joy of knowing that he would rescue us from our sins. And instead, he entrusted himself to God the Father. He didn't entrust himself to a political person or party, but to a just judge. He trusted himself fully to to God the Father. And we, at the same time, when when we see injustice in this world or in our lives, we don't have to despair, but we can rest. This is good news. It's totally opposite of probably what the world tells us to do. But we can rest that the Lord will bring about perfect justice, that he will deal with all evil and sin, but in the same light, we need to realize that he will also deal with our sin, which makes us know that we need Jesus, because none of us comes innocent. We are quick to defend and quick to, to lash back, and even our words that hinder and harm and shoot arrows at those we love, and we need Jesus. We need the one who died in our place. And we too can entrust ourselves to Jesus when we, say, when we face suffering for doing good. And we can look to the example of Jesus Christ and respond in that same way that we don't leave a place with leaving the fragrance of, I stood up for my rights, but we leave a place with the fragrance of, I love Jesus and I want you to know Jesus. That that's the message that they hear and in times, um, though, there are times where we need to stand up for, especially the injustice, I think, of others. And we are called to that at times. I think of it, one of the things that kept coming back to mind is William Wilberforce and how he, in England, had stood up for slavery and was able to, with many years of doing things well and right and with a humble spirit, um, was able to bring about the abolition of slavery there. But it, Whenever we enter into that realm, we need to think, um, what is my witness of Christ? Am I pointing people to Christ? How are they seeing Christ in me in the midst of this? And then verse 24 through 25, we need to live in light of Jesus' death for us. We live in light of the cross. We live in light of the gospel. For he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by whose Wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. 
So we're reminded as we endure suffering for doing good, we rest in the grace of God upon us. We look at the example of Christ and we're reminded that Christ died for us. We go back again and again and again to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he died on our behalf. That we see our weakness and we can rest in his strength. We can abide in him, the one who died for us. Jesus bore our sins as we wandered away from him. He, he took upon that sin upon himself. As we rebelled from him, he took upon that upon himself and died for us. Peter says it again, and it's a verse that we, as we've studied through First Peter, we've gone to a bunch of times. Verse 18 in chapter 3, just a little bit over in your Bible. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He's one who is righteous, and he, he took upon himself our sin and our judgment, that he might be able to place upon us his righteousness. Sometimes we call it his substitutionary atonement, that he died for us, for our sin in our place, that we might move from death to life, from death to life, from hearts of stone with sin written on it to hearts of life with the gospel written on it, that we are, can be new creations in Christ, that we can also be healed. It talks about that we are healed. Our wounds have been healed. And he's looking back, Peter's looking to the, the um, prophet of Isaiah in chapter 53 where it talks about the suffering servant who died for us, and by his wounds we are healed. We're made clean. The damage of sin can be removed. Um, There's nothing that we can do in our own work or our own goodness to remove that sin, Even, even enduring suffering for doing good. That doesn't bring upon us forgiveness of sins, but it's found in Jesus Christ. I was thinking of that, of how sometimes we try to work away our sin in different ways, and it, it just will never wipe it clean. It's a bit like, I don't know if you've ever, you or maybe one of your kids or grandkids or nephew or niece, have, you've, they've had a shirt where they've had a sticker on it. Maybe you have the, hi, my name is sticker, and you, you take the shirt off, you forget about it, and you put it in the, the washer, and then it goes into the dryer, and then you pull it out, and what happens if you're... That sticker, man, it doesn't come off. No matter what you do, it's like it just soaks into that shirt. And we, right now, I think we currently have a shirt in our freezer because you're supposed to be able to freeze it and maybe be able to pick off that sticker, but it hasn't worked so far. But our sins are such uh, that we can't, we can't scrape it off. We can't work it off. We can't freeze it off. Um, we need the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 25 you, for you were strained like sheep. You were strained like sheep. We have wandered away, wandered away from the only one who can rescue us, the one who's died for us. And we're called to return to him, to, to believe, and to, that returning, that's our repenting, turning from our sin and ourself and trusting in Jesus, who is spoken of as the shepherd and overseer of our soul. If you remember at Easter, um, which actually seems like a lifetime ago, oh my goodness, Easter of 2020 seems so long ago, but we, 
We looked at John 10, and I think I was preaching and, and, and recording in my basement. Um, but hopefully we were able to see that. And we talked about John, in John that Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. And in that, we learn that he's a good shepherd who, who loves us and knows us by name. He's not a good shepherd who is just like a CEO type shepherd who is in his office, who has the door closed and just talks to you through an intercom. Uh, but one who knows us and knows us by name. John 10, 3 says, To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. He knows us. And he's also a shepherd who's not unwilling to get dirty for us. That He died for us. He suffered in our place for us. He took upon that death of a criminal for us, the good shepherd that we might be able to, to come to him and be healed and forgiven and have life and hope even when we face injustice, when we do good for him. And we also see that Jesus is the overseer. He, he's the watchman. He's the guardian of our soul. He's the one that keeps us and guards us. As, even we think of the key, I think of the key passage in First Peter In chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, let me read that again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. To an inheritance, oh, I read that again. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you rejoice, that oh, now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that this testing, this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not, though you do not see him, do not know, or though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. He is the overseer, the watchman, the one who guards and keeps us. And he has given us a living hope. So as we think of this, Peter, he writes to these these slaves who are facing much trial. And they're doing good. And they're still facing injustice. And Peter reminds them to know that the Lord is with them. He knows their trial and to point them and remind them to look to Jesus. And may we do the same thing and may we be encouraged and strengthened as we walk through days that are unknown to us and unknown trials ahead that we might face. But we're reminded to be mindful of our God who is gracious to us and to look to the example of Christ and pray that in our actions that we're pointing people to Jesus, the the good shepherd, and ask the question again and again, how do my actions reflect Christ? How are they proclaiming the gospel to my family, to my friends, to strangers, to neighbors? And may you, even as you come this morning, maybe you you realize, I haven't yet followed Christ. I, I don't know what that means for him to be my good shepherd and find hope in him. And this morning might be a morning for you to, to place your faith in Christ or to seek him out and fill out a card saying, hey, I want to know more about following Christ or reach out to us if you're watching online. 
that you might follow him. And as believers, may we reflect and kind of walk through, as we walk through times of injustice and difficulties, how are we reflecting Christ in them? How are we resting and looking to the example of Jesus Christ? And even may we pray. May we pray for one another and pray for those who are going through even more intense suffering than we are. And today I'm just going to close by reading a story from the Voice of the Martyrs from India. I don't know if you've read recently, but in India, persecution has heightened for Christians because there's a heightened call for this pure Hindu nationalism that you, if you're Indian, you're a Hindu. And if you're not, you're outside. Let me read from the Voice of the Martyrs. India's push for a purely Hindu nation led to the murder of five Christians in a, in a recent two-month span. And many more believers are suffering. This is recent. Um, church meetings are routinely targeted and pastors are violently attacked as the country's leaders and laws increasingly recognize only Hindus as rightful citizens. One of the biggest threats in, to the Hindu nationalistic ideology is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which frees Hindus from the bondage of trying to appease or earn the favor of millions of false gods. If the gospel continues to spread, India cannot become the land of the Hindus. One of these Christians, one, one of these believers, is a 27, was a 27-year-old man named Kande Mudu. He was, an Hindu, he was a Hindu before coming to Christ in 2018. After that, he led his three brothers to Christ. Hindus then pressured him to renounce his faith. When he refused, local Hindus attacked his home and sexually assaulted his mother-in-law. Following a second attack, Kandi told his wife, Bindu, the extremists would attack again. And then on June 7, 2020, the attackers returned and abducted Kande. He said, I may be killed tonight, he told Bindu, his wife, as they marched him away from his home. But I, will, but, I will, but I will never attack these people. Never give up your faith, even if I'm killed. Kandi's body was found by the roadside that following morning. Although Bindu must, know, must now raise their two children alone, she is determined to follow her husband's final admonition. She won't give up her faith. We need to pray. <laughs> Sometimes we think we face difficulties, um, and we do, but we know that there are followers of Christ who put everything on the line to follow him. Father God, we're reminded of even this sweet family who faithfully is following Christ, this wife. Lord, we pray for her and her kids. Lord, as they walk to be a light with the gospel. Lord, help us to be reminded that you don't call us to to be a champion for our, our own rights, but you call us to be a champion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be reminded that your grace is upon us when we stand up for the gospel.
Help us to be those who look again and again to the example of Jesus Christ who willingly endured the cross, laying aside his, himself to die for us, entrusting himself to a righteous judge, God the Father. Help us to go back again and again to the gospel that we, we might reflect you and point people to you, that we would not uh, be those who, through our actions, harden people to the gospel, but call them in, that they want to hear and know more and understand why we live as we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we are reminded, as we need to go back again and again,